Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal, and with us is Sergeant First Class Osvaldo Aquite, NCOIC of the Journal. Today we discuss the article, COIN, Don't Trade Blood for Knowledge, by Sergeant Major Timothy Dihar. Operations NCO, 52nd Ordnance Group. Uh, before we kick things off, could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, absolutely. Um, like you said, I'm Sergeant Major Timothy Haar. Uh, I currently work at the 52nd Ordnance Group, EOD. Um, just hit 21 years in the Army, and I've been EOD the entire time. Uh, graduated uh, from the Sergeant Major Academy last year, and I've, I've been working here as a Brigade Operations Sergeant Major for uh, about a year now. Okay, well, tell us about the, this. Why did you choose to write this article? What, what was, a, what was a, the thought process behind uh, choosing to write this article? Sir, I, uh, I could see, obviously, the Army shifting its focus toward large-scale combat operations, uh, and I absolutely agree with that. Um, what worried me was that we have NCOs with years or decades of experience within this realm uh, and if we completely shift that focus to LISCO, um, we may hamper the information transfer from those NCOs to their subordinates uh, on some of those key lessons that we learned in the coin fights in Iraq and Afghanistan. I uh, I, I I decided to when I when I finished reading it, I saw the, the very last words of your of your article. I thought it they just stuck in my in my head. You know, don't trade blood for for knowledge. Uh, as actually the, the the title of your of your of your article, what you what you think of our choice? It was certainly the words that I wrote that that hit home the most to me, because for those those of us that were um, maybe in Iraq or Afghanistan in the early years, I think we saw a lot of lessons that we had to learn, hard lessons, uh, and unfortunately, we learned them uh, through somebody being killed or injured, uh, and then. We were able to change our SOPs, our TTPs, uh, and hopefully move on in that ever-evolving fight against uh, an insurgency. Um, and so that's that's essentially why I wanted to write the paper. I'm certainly I want to be I want to be very very clear that I'm not uh, an old NCO pushing back against change. Uh, we're moving to Lisco, um, but you know I was. 19 years old when I was first deployed in uh, Fallujah. My experiences at that age uh, and at that time did a lot to sort of form my my worldview right now. Um, but I'm completely on board with the, the current focus on LISCO. Uh, I simply think that it's important that we as an NCO Corps retain the lessons learned from our really extensive coin operation uh, experience uh, because I, I do believe they're going to be very important during the future fight. I'd, I'd like to hear um, maybe if, you, if it takes you a second to kind of think back on this a little bit, that's fine. Um, but I'd like to hear probably what was your first experience as a young NCO or, or maybe even the a, 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 a soldier, like you said, first deploying to Fallujah with coin operations? The first experience that, that that really comes to mind, uh, like I said, we were I was in the 703rd uh, EOD out of Fort Knox. Uh, we got to Fallujah in 
uh, September of 2003, and that's right when the uh, the IEDs hadn't spiked there yet, right? And so we're I'm I'm an EOD soldier. Um, we take care of improvised explosive devices, uh, and now all of a sudden uh, they are rampant uh, within the theater. And um, I we drove into Fallujah the first time, and I saw a, a fellow EOD technician have to almost just run in, clip onto it. Uh, do a remote pull, tear this, this, uh, it was a propane tank filled with HME, um, and tore this thing apart. And, and we got out of there, uh, in probably less than 10 minutes because, uh, the insurgents there enjoyed shooting at you if you spent too long there. Uh, and then we drove out of the city and I thought this is nothing like EOD school. I had just graduated about a month prior, um, and was taken aback at how different the, you know, the very organized learning within within TRADOC of how to do your job. Uh, and then six weeks later, um, I'm watching it in action for the first time and just the, the, the chaos of having to safely take this thing apart um, while also worrying about all the, the other tactical concerns. And so it was a, a very eye-opening uh, scene for me to take in. Uh, one of the things you just said really, really stuck in my head here about, you know, we had some, there was some hard lessons that we, that, that we learned over the course of the, the global war on terror in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the lessons need to be passed on. Well, I, I would say that um, I, I've had similar thoughts over the years, and uh, I would hesitate to say that they were made in vain because I think it would be difficult to truly comprehend. Uh, I can, speak toward the the EOD side right so if a if an EOD team leader on the ground in 2003 2004 uh figured something out uh on uh, about what the enemy was doing and then put that information out to the maneuver forces on the ground um and I've seen that happen several times get the intel analyze it and then pass that information on to uh whoever you are supporting and then it I don't know. There would be no way to, comp to to truly understand how many lives that can save. And then it's a cascading effect because, uh, you know, those people that whose lives were saved can now pass that experience and on pass that on throughout the decades. And so uh, even if we were to forget everything that we know about coin right now, I think that the, the lessons that we learned from those sacrifices uh, could not be in vain because of the the other lives that were saved just in those uh, fights in Iraq and Afghanistan. Oh, great point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, what I mean is like when it comes to like future fight, you know, those hard lessons, they, were, they weren't in vain when they happened. But now those hard lessons that were learned, if they're not passed on and the, the you know, you warriors who've been out there who were, were out there doing, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the dirt doing everything that needed to be done. Uh, don't have the opportunity to pass on that knowledge. That's what I'm thinking is that it would be in vain uh, as far as that aspect of it. No, I, I absolutely understand your point, sir. And I think I think we can see just in the uh, the news reports coming out of uh, Ukraine that there's a lot of guerrilla tactics, um, some used on both sides. Um, and so I think during large-scale combat operations, we we have to be aware of the the core of that coin fight, that counterinsurgency fight, um, because it's not 
it's not just made up of uh, how we should fight against just an insurgency. Um, a lot of those those tasks that are associated with it um, or lessons learned from it uh, apply to guerrilla tactics within a, uh, a LISCO fight. So I think that was that was really the point of my paper is to say don't don't stop doing LISCO training, um, but understand that um, you're going to have to do some coin centric tasks within that LISCO fight uh, and we might not be realizing that, that uh, on a large scale here. You know, the, this brings up a point too. We 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 worked with Sar Major of the Army, uh, Sar Major Grinston, before he retired. A final series of visits to different places, and he always brought up tough, realistic training. Uh, could you talk a little more about that? Because I think it's important that we we stick to or that we we explore, you know, how this is relevant to NCOs because that, that's those are the people who are uh, listening to our podcast. I think that the tough realistic training that you're talking about is especially important for uh, the coin operations associated with large scale combat operations. Uh, we saw that uh, previously or historically when we would start going to JRTC and NTC and they were not built toward the coin fight. The Army had difficulties uh, adjusting uh, those training centers um, and they had to bring in role players because there's a I think we realized that there was a lot more of the the human element when you're dealing with coin than there is with Lisco. But I think that that human element persists throughout all combat operations, right? The reason that we're fighting over a piece of land is likely that that land means something to someone. Uh, and so uh, as, as we're moving through fighting one of these near peers, uh, may our folks uh, end up in villages, towns, cities, well, yes, absolutely. We are going to fight there. Um, and so th that that once you're there, now there will be interaction with the civilians, which makes everything that you're doing uh, more complex. And now commanders can't give specific orders for every contingency. So we need uh, to use mission command principles. Right. And we have to allow our NCOs to exercise their initiative on the battlefield, obviously through the chain of command. But if we're not training for uh, these sort of complex coin operations in conjunction with LISCO, then my fear is that uh, the young sergeants and staff sergeants and even some sergeants first class uh, who may not have that, uh, that experience uh, dealing with the local populace while also doing combat operations, then we lose that. Uh, and that's, that's why I wrote the article. Yeah, if we talk, uh, it seems that we've already talked about the the shape phase. Going back to your article, we're talking about the different phases of uh, uh, the joint com combat operation model. We're talking about shape. We we probably didn't touch on the tur phase, but those kind of go together and they kind of blend in sometimes because um, you can say you know a deployment overseas is is a show of force kind of thing. So that's part of a, the tur phase, um, and we touched a little bit about about the dominate phase. But now we're talking a little bit more on the stabilize and enable civil authorities phases of the joint operation. And if we're talking about in reality, right, if we're in reality, we may need to skip some of those phases and just go into a country and provide stability or aid um, those countries uh, stabilize themselves or, or even do some – enable civil authorities, right? We might – the military might be called to, to support those operations. 
And that's where we're talking about NCOs playing a big role with coin operations. They have to have that understanding and, and um, realize that some of their actions might have strategic implications. Yes, sir. I, I completely agree. And I think I think what you're saying makes perfect sense in that if something new happened in the world right now um, and we had been doing uh, maybe some security cooperation type uh, operations there in the past, right? So like security force assistance going through and, and training the military of, of a host nation. And then we send in a large number of people that's getting us into deter with a uh, flexible deterrent option or flexible response option, right? We're, we're moving into the, the spot and then there is no fight then yes, we're we're jumping right into stabilize, right? We're making sure that uh, essential services are provided, and uh, if if any key infrastructure has been broken, we're making sure that it's good. Well, the the hazard of that is that yes, we're we're doing a good thing while we're there, but then, in my opinion, uh, our priorities then become our enemies' opportunities, right? So, if if I need to keep uh, the local populace uh, alive essentially right they need clean water they need food they need electricity and so we uh, through our protection war fighting function work to make sure that those things stay on well the enemy only has to get it right once so they uh, are able to using uh, maybe drones or artillery or whatever they would like to use uh, they uh, destroy the water plant or make it so that the folks in and around that area can't get water. Well, well, now we're the face of the operation and this town doesn't have any water, which can turn the local populace against us. Um, and one interesting thing that I found uh, in doing the research for this uh, article, um, in JP324, uh, it said that only 20 people per thousand are needed. And that's our, obviously that's our estimates as a, as a, as a military, but 20 people per thousand are needed to sustain an insurgency. And that number seemed so low to me. I always assumed it would be higher. Um, but every interaction that we have where uh, a soldier hasn't been trained correctly on ROE um, and a vehicle drives up and they fire on the vehicle or uh, animals are injured because of our reckless driving or an interaction just goes poorly uh, when you're talking to uh, a mayor or an elder of a village. Um, if each of those interactions simply turns one person against us, we're going to get to that number 20 and 1,000 pretty quickly, and now there's a sustained counterinsurgency in our area. Um, so that, to me, just knowing the hazards of those things is important uh, because now you're not telling the, the, the young sergeant isn't telling the, the private, don't do this, and I'm not telling you why. You get to say, this is how we're going to interact in situations like this, and here's why. Because if we don't, then you're a private now, but we're going to come back here as a you're going to come back here as a sergeant and a staff sergeant and a sergeant first class, fighting this same war. Now you bring up a good point because it's it's in those basic soldier skills like treatment of you know um, suspects or whatever. Um, just in that simple interaction, while you may think you know we got this suspecting insurgent or whatever uh, but if if you don't treat them right or with respect or dignity and they end up not being the the person right the person that the, you were looking for 
like you said, it can turn them toward that insurgency. It can drive them toward that insurgency. Um, and you're, you're kind of repeating the same mistakes again. So I think um, you hit it on the nail there that we have to focus on some of the not, – not only realistic training but also explain – or take those opportunities in training to explain why these things are important, why they matter, and what kind of implications they might have. Yes, and I and I think that those key interactions. Yes, the the battalion commander, the brigade commander, division commander are going to have interactions with people in that host nation, um, and those are larger, uh, sometimes strategic level uh, engagements, and they are incredibly important. But the interactions that would turn somebody toward an insurgency, in my in my opinion, um, are those interactions led by teams, squads, platoons, and then sometimes companies, right? And so most of those are sort of NCO-led and trained, um, especially from the, the platoon level on down, right? So if, if we don't have the NCOs passing that information on, then the lieutenant colonels, colonels, generals could be saying all of the right things at their level, um, but we are effectively starting a uh, an insurgency at the team, squad, and platoon level. Um, and so, yes, I, I think that it becomes very important. I know that I've made some uh, maybe poor decisions in the past on how an EOD problem could have been handled and not handled, and I, I want others that have learned those lessons to be able to pass them on to the next generation. There is training going on, though. But there is the army does have coin training, and that was one of the things that came up in in a conversation. I, could you speak on that a little bit, Sarnikita? Yeah, I mean, so we're obviously doing training. Um, you know, at, at your leadership courses, they're talking about soldier soldier leader engagements, right? You're talking about uh, engagements in the battlefield. Um, so there's a lot of that training that's happening. But I th- I think the point that I'm trying to reach here is that there's a lot of downtime. When we're eating chow, there's time to talk, and it's like, hey, you know, you, you kind of review your your actions on uh, on contact and things like that, and you say, hey, you know what? I saw you doing something, you know, X, Y, Z. You know what that could mean? You know what I mean? Like, so taking those opportunities as an NCO to impart, especially those that have that combat experience, to impart those, hey, this is what I learned in. Wait, wait, wait. Right, right. Give, give us a real-world example. You were out there in, in Iraq. Why don't you give, give us a real example about that? That, that would be interesting for me to hear, Well, I for mean, the audience to hear. But, you know, we, we would go into a home, and we would – you know, I was in infantry. So we would go into a home. We would clear. We'd separate the women and children. Kids are crying. You know, the, the guy is trying to protect his family. You know what I mean? Um, so just yelling and – Pulling people aside, pulling the males aside, and and you know, I, you're young, so you're going in there, your your heart's racing, you think everything's a threat, and you don't think about how you're treating people, and and so maybe those instances now looking back at them is like, man, I should have probably not been that rough with somebody. I probably shouldn't have. Um, I should probably could have understood them being together in the same room. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um. So those kind of things is the things that I think about when I'm thinking. You know. If I'm doing training with a soldier and we're talking about clearing rooms and we're separating uh, detainees and things like that, I would say, you know what, if, if there's an older man there and they're not the person we're looking for and we want to have them over there with the family, with the women and children, like do that if you can, right? Like well, you said clear it them, you know what I mean? 
Dignity and respect, treating people with dignity and respect regardless. Yeah. I think that's that's always important no matter what. And for us, it wasn't a thing that we trained on or right or we talked about before going. We, we, we went in 2002, We weren't talking about – we always talked about dignity and respect. But when you're focusing on training, you're, you're focusing on kicking doors and clearing rooms, right? Um, but that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, take that opportunity to, yeah. to pass on that, that – that knowledge. I don't know if that makes. That oh, makes it sense. makes absolute sense to me. I I agree. I think I think one thing that's sort of interesting is the. Uh, the, the I jotted it down uh, in preparation uh, for this discussion. Is just the the lethal versus less lethal options, right? And so if we're if we're hyper focused on the just the the battle aspect of large scale combat operations, right? Deploying to a spot and destroying our nation's enemies. That is that is our our main task, uh, and that is incredibly important. Um, but I think that you're right that in downtime in an AAR or something like that, um, you don't even have to have practiced uh, something lethal versus le- less lethal. I think that can be a uh, a discussion. But now your soldiers maybe they hear a story from you, uh, and they get to hear how you saw something go awry where less lethal options should have worked. We had to learn those lessons in Iraq and all of a sudden they're figuring out maybe pen flares work because the warning shots don't work and uh, maybe civilians are getting injured or whatever it is. Um, Not only are people getting injured or killed uh, on the battlefield, civilians, um, but it's also that soldier then feels likely not great mentally about something that a situation that they likely could not have been uh, trained for, right? We we talk about ROE, um, and you can say it all day long, but there are going to be situations that fall outside of your training. And so hopefully there are NCOs there on the ground exercising their initiative um, with this experience, these lessons uh, that have been passed down from their senior NCOs to be able to say, hey, shoot or don't shoot based on uh, my experience. Um, if we just if we just walk into every situation uh, thinking this is we need to train these folks for war and nothing else, then I think we saw what happens on the backside when we hit phase four uh, stability operations and then trying to enable civil authority when there's a whole lot of angry folks from the the host nation populace uh, around us because of things that we've largely done. What would you say are the takeaways, Sergeant Major? For let's let's break it down into possibly young NCOs um, or, or junior NCOs, and then maybe senior NCOs. If you can break down <clears throat> some takeaways from this conversation for them to, if they're listening, what 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 do you think they should go back to your units and do or or bring up? Um, for I'll, I'll take the. Uh you said senior, but I'll take the old folks first, right? Because uh, that's what that's what I am. Um, to me, it it could be as simple as just sitting down and telling some stories of times that you ran into weird situations. Um, I think that interjecting a little bit into uh, a training event that still so that training event still meets the commander's intent, um, but you can flavor a, li- a little bit with some of the coin experiences that you've had in the past. And I think that people would be surprised by how much their 
their soldiers, their young soldiers can can pick up from those, especially if you highlight it during the AAR. The young soldiers, that's more difficult for me, um, especially I'm an opstar major, and so I don't I don't have uh, a lot of interaction with with the young soldiers. Um, but I'll say, especially the the junior NCOs, it's I've learned I've learned so much uh, over my 21 years by simply asking people questions. Right? Uh, it doesn't matter who they are, but I'm in the room with them. So rather than us just standing there awkwardly, I might as well ask them questions, being inquisitive. And so I think if those uh, young sergeants are simply asking the NCOs above them, hey, can we turn this training event a little bit? This is what I'm planning for sergeant's time training. Uh, could you talk a little bit about this? Or what would you interject into this to make it a little bit better? How can we pack this this time full with the best, most realistic training that we, that we can? Um, and so it really comes down to how do we transfer? If both sides do that, then we can hopefully successfully transfer that knowledge from the older generation to the younger generation and hopefully, once again, not have to relearn those lessons the hard way in the next fight. Thank you again for joining us. And thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles, and get published with the NCO Journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO Journal Podcast.